Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. Spirit, because whatever's going to happen today, it's going to happen because He makes it happen. So just open up your heart to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. You are good. I can trust you. We are changed from glory to glory. We are changed from an encounter with the Holy Spirit. That's the glory. So Holy Spirit, change us. Give us your revelations. Show us who you are. Show us your plans for our life. So repeat after me. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Now that is easier said than done. Anybody who's older, right? You know that is easier said than done. Now we know the main thing is our intimacy, right? That's our first value here at Overflow Church. So the main thing is intimacy. It all begins with our relationship with the Father. Friendship with God is our greatest privilege and priority. But what do we do from there? What has God called us to do from that place of intimacy? Do you know what your main thing is? Because if you don't know what your main thing is, then how can you focus on keeping the main thing the main thing? And what I've observed in my 40 years of ministry almost is that people don't know what the main thing and what they think is the main thing is not the main thing. And what other people have told them is the main thing is not the main thing. So they're not doing the main thing and they're frustrated. (laughs) So uh, Robin and I and my son Luke, we had an opportunity to go to the Florida Rodeo. Now, first of all, I had no idea there was such a thing. (laughs) Rob and I uh, lived in Texas for four years when I was in seminary in Fort Worth, and we go to the rodeo all the time. And so we learned what a good rodeo looks like. We know what good bull riding looks like. So we went to the Florida Rodeo, and we didn't see (laughs) good bull riding. The first six guys got thrown off the bull within three or four seconds. Now, it takes eight seconds to score. They didn't even make it half, halfway. And the sixth guy, within a second, I mean, they open a chute, the bull comes out, and the guy flies up in the air, lands on his face, and the bull stomps on him. And I'm thinking, I, I don't think that's his main thing. <laughs> and then I saw this video. You need to watch this video. 
Now, now first of all, when, when you ride a bull and he doesn't want you to be on top of him, you, you don't turn your back to him and start walking away, right? Look at this guy. Like, ah, oh, he's limping. You know, th this video represents a, a lot of people's lives. You know, they're just being bumped all the, and, and they're thinking, well, bull riding must be my main thing. <laughs> uh, and yeah, look at that, boom, 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 boom. Uh, you know, I, I want to, I want to get a hold of that guy and say, you know, I think you need to find something else. I don't think that that bull riding <laughs> is your main thing. What, what, what are you doing? Turn around. There's a bull behind you. And and the, the most amazing thing is how that bull keeps finding him. You know, shoots him up in the air and gets underneath him. Shoots him up in the air and gets underneath him. Over. Isn't that how a lot of people live their lives? Right. Because they're, they're, they're doing something that's not the main thing. And they're just getting bumped up, bumped up. They live a life of drama. They just go from drama to drama. And insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting different results. If you always do, you've always done. You always don't get what you've always gotten. So the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. But you need to know, first of all, what is the main thing? So... Maybe we should go to the person who really knows the main thing. Because that ain't the main thing for that guy. What do you think? Huh? <laughs> you keep watching it over and over and over again. You know, I, I, I hope he does too. I hope he realizes maybe, maybe bull riding ain't my main thing. But, you know, for some of you, that's what you're doing, right? Your life is just being bumped all over the place, and God's trying to get a hold of your attention, saying this ain't the main thing for you. Get off of that bull. Go try something different. It ain't that. So Jesus said in Matthew 28 that the main thing is to go and make disciples. So we know it begins with intimacy. We know it begins with a relationship with the Father. But then he sends us with a mission. So we call Matthew 28 the Great Commission, where God gives us a mission. And what's really interesting about that mission is God hasn't changed his mind. So Jesus said that we are to go and make disciples. We're to reproduce ourselves. Well, that's what God said at the very beginning to the first man and first woman. He said to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth and to subdue it, to rule over it. Well, that's exactly what we're to be doing today. We're to be multiplying. We're to fill the earth with followers of the king who bring glory to this earth by bringing his kingdom to this earth. So let's look at Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. It's the great commission. It's what each of us as believers, it's what, what we as a church are supposed to be doing. It is our mission on this earth. So this is 40 days after the resurrection. So uh, Jesus has been crucified. He's paid the price for our sin so that we can have a relationship with a holy God. He was buried. He was raised from the dead. And now he's gone 40 days and he's appeared to at least 500 of his disciples. He's getting ready now to ascend to heaven. So these are his last words. This is what he's saying. Okay, I've done my job. Now this is your job. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. 
So I have been given authority. Now I am giving you authority as my ambassadors to represent me. And, to, and I send you with a message. Go and make disciples of all the nations. And the word nations would really be better translated all the, the ethnic people of this world. Every people group of this world. Go and make disciples of every people group across the entire planet and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And don't just baptize them. Don't, don't just convert them. Don't just bring them into the kingdom, but then teach them. Teach them to obey what I have commanded you, Jesus said. Teach them to obey what I have told you to do. And then he gives them a promise. He says, I will be with you even to the end of the age. So Jesus gave the church, gave his disciples a job. So how are we doing? Well, the first 300 years, I would give the church an A+. I would say that business is good. In the first 300 years, the church went from that original 500 to 20 million. So that in 313, the Roman emperor, Caesar Constantine, bent the knee to Jesus and called upon him as Lord. Up to that time, the church exponentially grew. The church multiplied, but something changed in the next 1,700 years. We went from multiplication to, at best, addition to, at worst, subtraction in Europe and now in America. So what was different about the early church? Well, first of all, let me tell you what they didn't have. They didn't have a building. They couldn't have mass meetings on Sunday. Christianity was an illegal religion. They were persecuted. They were thrown in the arena with the wild beasts to be devoured. They were, they were killed. There were no paid professional ministers. They had no programs to invite people to. They couldn't, we couldn't say, hey, come to our children's ministry or our youth ministry. There were no programs. And what's even more fascinating, they didn't even have the Bible. The New Testament hadn't even been canonized yet. They were putting it together. So they had fragments. They had letters of Paul and some of the Gospels, but they didn't have what we have today. So how was this church in the first 300 years, how were they able to take over the Roman Empire so that the Caesar would call upon Jesus as Lord? And what's happened to us today? Well, if I was to start over here to the Arutas, and if I was to tell them a story, I'm actually going to tell you a story at the end of this message about the little ducklings. And if the Rudas had just gone ahead and just told the story, and, and if the story had gotten all the way over here to the Bay Logs, do you think the story would have changed? Yeah, we've seen that, right? Well, that's what's happened to the Great Commission. The story has changed. Not the words of Jesus, but the understanding of what Jesus said has changed. 
we change the interpretation of the Great Commission. So I want us to look at the four key words, the four key commands that Jesus gave us of the Great Commission. How we see those words today and how the New Testament church, how the early church, how the original disciples would have heard those words. So the first word that Jesus said, after he said, all authority has been given to me, therefore I give you authority that's from heaven to go and be my ambassador, represent me in this earth, be fruitful and multiply. For you to do that, you must go. So how do we as the church today, especially in America, hear that word go? What comes to our mind? Come. For those Christians who actually speak of their faith, how they share their faith is an invitation not to come to Jesus, but to come to what? To church. And what do we invite them to? We, we invite them to come, see, and hear. Who? Jesus? No. The great dynamic speaker for the mega churches or the great music program or the great dramas. We're inviting them to come and see a performance that's put on. We're inviting them to come be a spectator. So from the very beginning, and listen, I'm a lead pastor. I've been a lead pastor for a long time. I am guilty of this. We're inviting people to come in and to be a spectator and to watch us perform like going to a football game and watching all the guys play, and if they don't play well, what do you do? You boo them or you quit coming. <laughs> What's happened to the church? We've been booed and they've quit coming. Because we invited them to come in as spectators to evaluate and to critique how the performers are doing. Roast beef isn't the only thing that's roasted on Sundays. Unfortunately. The second thing we've invited them to come to is to become a consumer. We've become salesmen, and we've learned how to become very effective salesmen. So we invite people not just to come see and hear, but also to come and experience all the things that we as the church are providing for you. We have something for your entire family. We have something for your children. We have something for your youth. We have something for the young adults. We have something for the women. And we even have something for the men. And to top it all off, you get to go to heaven. Wow. So, so we're, we're inviting people. So the word go for the church today is to come and to come in as a spectator and as a consumer. So what happens when what they're spectating isn't that good anymore compared to what the, offer, what, what the world's offering? What are they going to stop doing? They're going to stop coming. Or what's going to happen when the, the, the benefits that we're providing aren't as good as what the world's providing? Or what happens if they're offended? 
or they don't like something. Or what happens if in that particular church, they've consumed all the benefits and they're kind of bored with that church. So what I'm going to do then is I'm going to go to what? The next church and I'm going to consume all of their benefits. And after a while, it's like, oh, that, that, that preacher, he was good at first, but man, I've roasted enough times. I think I'm going to go try somebody else and roast that pastor or whatever. You know, I know what it is to be roasted, okay? So, so what we've done is we, we've taught people who come into the church to be spectators and consumers. I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind when he said go. What do you think? So when the early disciples, when they heard Jesus first say that word go, what do you think was in their mind? What picture was in their mind? It wasn't come to church and hear the great speaker, see the great children's program or whatever, the the great music. I mean, I, listen, and I'm not against any of those things. Those, are, those things are good, but they're not the main thing. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. That's not the main thing. Those are good things, but they're not the main thing. So when Jesus said to go, what picture was in the disciples' mind? Jesus and what he did. What did Jesus do? He served. So when they thought of go, they were thinking, Jesus, what did Jesus do? He went and he served. He served the lowly, the lesser, the least, the lost, the poor, the oppressed, the outcast, the rejected, the marginalized. So when they heard the word go, that's what they saw. They saw, oh, I need to be like Jesus, and I need to go serve the least, that's what they saw. They saw what Jesus did when he fed the people, when he healed the wounded, when he gave hope and set the captives free. So just in the very first word, the word go, it has changed from serve the least to come and let me show you what we got. And then he said, Go and make disciples. So how do we make disciples today in the church? We make disciples today cerebrally. We're going to meet around the Bible, and I love the Bible, by the way. All right, We're going to meet around a book, but it's cerebral. We're calling people to make a decision, to become a decision maker, to become a, con a convert to become a believer. But what happens when you don't really like the decision that you made of being a spectator? Or you're not really drawn anymore by the things that you used to consume, the decision you made. Your, your decision was to watch and see, to be a spectator, and to consume. And what happens when, when it gets difficult? Then you make a decision to what? To not come and see anymore what's happened to the church. Before COVID in 2020, the church in America had been on a 1% decline for 20 years. So the church that I came to here 25 years ago had been declining every 
year, 1%. I have watched so many of my pastors, friends, and their churches just disappear. I would say to Robin, you know, I feel like, like Blockbuster when I watch Hollywood videos go out of business. We're doing things just a little bit better, but unless the church changes, we are going to be Blockbuster. I had those conversations with Robin. Because I watched all my closest friends, I watched their churches disappear. So what COVID did, COVID, all, all COVID did was make things that were already there more obvious. That we had trained followers of Jesus to be spectators and consumers and decision makers. So when Jesus said to his disciples, go and make disciples, what, what, what were in their mind? Like, what were the disciples thinking in the early church when Jesus said, go and make disciples? It was what Jesus had said to the original disciples. What did he say to them? Did he say, hey, come make a decision. Let's have Bible study together. Let's, hey, why don't you convert? Or, or why don't you believe? What did he say? If any of you wishes to follow me, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross, and then you can follow me. Jesus called them to an absolute and total commitment, a complete reorientation of their life, their purpose, and their goals. I don't think that most people, when they make a decision to follow Jesus, understand that. Because we've led them to come and see and to consume and not to make a decision to deny yourself, to make Jesus king, to make Jesus Lord, not just Savior. And so when it gets hard, they just make another decision. And that decision is, well, I don't really, you know, I'm okay with Jesus, but I'm not okay with his bride, with his body. So, over the years, the story that went from the Arutas concerning what it means to go and make disciples, by the time it got to the Balogs, it has changed. And not only has the concept of making disciples changed, but the people who are doing it has changed. The early church, it was everyone who was to make disciples. It was the men and the women it was anyone who called Jesus Lord was to go and make disciples. So it was the men and the women who were apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers who were empowered to go and make disciples. So who are the people who are making disciples today? It's the educated I have two master's degrees in seminary. I'm not against it. It's the well-trained. It's the professional. And it's mainly who? Men. And we watch these professional, educated, well-trained men give it their all to make disciples while the church is in the stadium applauding them when they do well, but what happens when they burn out? And they begin to have some failures, some difficulties. We say, next. 
Next up. So Jesus said, go and make disciples. But then he said to baptize them. So we, we know what we believe by what we do. So don't listen to your own lies, by the way. If you want to know what you believe, watch what you do. So Jesus said to go and baptize the nations, the, the ethnic groups, the ethnos was the word he used. Who are we baptizing today in America, the evangelical church? We're baptizing people who are just like us and people that we like, people that we are comfortable with, people that have our same values, people that for the most part have our same economic status. And forgive me for this, but for the most part, people who have the same politics as us. And so the evangelical church is concentrating on this 40% of Americans. But what about the other 60%? Who is reaching them? Who's baptizing them? So as you all, as Overflow Church, has empowered me to go out into the community, I'm now being exposed to regional ministries and now national ministries. And one of the things that I'm hearing from these national church planning ministries is that we don't have any difficulty at all finding church planters who'll go to the suburbs, the places like Valrico, Wesley Chapel, Riverview. So I'm now meeting with a couple organizations. He says, but what we need, what we need is we need church planters who'll go to Ebor. He'll go to Seminole Heights. We can't find anyone who'll go there. We can find plenty of church planners who want to go to Valrico, right? One of the highest um, medium income zip codes in the country. But what about Seminole Heights, one of the lowest? So who are we baptizing? We're baptizing ourselves. We're baptizing people just like us, people that we're comfortable with, people that we want to hang around. So when the early church, when the original Christians heard Jesus say, go baptize the nations, what was in their mind? Well, we can, we can tell what was in their mind by who they baptized. They baptized the free they baptize the slaves. They baptize those that were in high political office because we see Paul talking about uh, some from the household of, the C of Caesar who were now in faith, but also some who were the, the marginalized, the outcasts, the immigrants, those who were not Roman citizens, those who were, who were at the bottom. So when they heard Jesus say, baptize the nations, they understood because they saw who Jesus went to. Jesus went to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. They saw Jesus go to the centurion, the hated Romans. So when they heard Jesus say, go and baptize the nations, they understood and they did it. What we're doing is we're reaching our own.
to people just like us. And we need to change. The fourth command that Jesus gave in the Great Commission. Now remember, these, these are the last words that Jesus said before he ascended to heaven. So don't you think these are probably important? Like th this is the commission. All right, I've done my job. Now here's your job. This is your business. So how's business? We need to really evaluate how is business for the church in America. So we saw it happen in Europe. The church declined for many years because they did what we're doing. And the church in America has followed Europe. It's been declining because of how we interpreted the Great Commission. So the fourth word, that, or fourth command that Jesus gave was to teach what I have commanded you to do. What are we teaching in churches today? We're teaching followers of Jesus, to be good, moral people. And listen, I've preached 100, I've preached over 900 messages in this church. Many of them were about your character, having good character. In other words, living what you say you believe, being a good advertisement for the kingdom of God, living a good moral life. So I'm not against that, and neither would Jesus be. But that can't be the main thing. If you're just a good moral person, but you're not, you're not doing what Jesus commanded us to do. You're just a good moral person. Or we're teaching the blessed life. And I've got to be one of the greatest proponents of living the blessed life. I believe in John 10.10, Jesus said, I've come to give you life, the blessed life, life overflow, life abundant, pleroma, favor, whatever you want to call it. I believe in that. But if that's all we're going for, we have missed the main thing. The main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing, and the blessed life and living a good moral life, letting your character line up with what you say you believe. They are important. But what did Jesus tell the disciples to teach? What I commanded them. So what was in the mind of the disciples when they heard Jesus say, all right, go, make disciples, baptize all people groups, not just who you're comfortable with, and then teach them what I've commanded you to do. Well, what did Jesus command them to do? So what came to their mind was, well, when Jesus sent us out the first time, what did he tell us to do? Oh, yeah. He told us to go to the wounded people and to heal them. He told us to look for people who were oppressed and who were captive and to set them free. He told us to preach God's kingdom and God's reign and God's power on this earth. So, church in America, how's business? I've been praying for a revival since becoming a believer at 17, first time I read the Bible not being raised in church, I remember going to my pastor saying, how come what I see here isn't what I see there? I was, I was bold. I said, why, why are we not seeing the same things I'm reading in the book of Acts in our church and, and in the church? It's never left me. Revival is starting to come to America. 
the embers, the, the, the little flame. It's orange right now. I want to see it blue. And the only way it's going to get blue is when we all come together. We bring the coals together, create that blue fire. But we need to get back to doing what Jesus said, to go to the lowest, the lesser, the least, the lost. And we need to make disciples like Jesus made disciples. People who don't just declare Jesus as Savior because of all the benefits I'm going to get, but who declare Jesus as Lord, as King. I'm going to completely reorient my life to follow you, Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I have completely reoriented my life to follow Jesus. I'm not in the sidelines in the stadium cheering the pastors, the paid pastors in the middle who are trying to do the job. We've got to change all that. So back in February when Pastor Chuck, he, he asked me, what do you see that, that Overflow Church is doing that God is really getting a hold of? Well, one of the things that you saw is the fine art. That's making disciples. We are empowering these young people to become leaders in this world. Do you understand the confidence that's being built in these young people to fulfill what God has called them to do? That is powerful. I, I sent text to Ruth. I said, Ruth, they're going to be contacting you in 10, 15, and 20 years and saying, I'm a senator. I'm a lawyer. I'm whatever because you gave me the confidence to go after my dreams and to find out what the main thing is in my life. To make disciples. And I talked about our restoration ministry. We bring people into the kingdom and they're all wounded and their wounds cause these unwanted emotions and unwanted behaviors and they're terrible advertisements for the kingdom of God. And we need to restore people. We need to bring them to that place where God had originally created them to be. And I talked about our missional communities. There would be so many things I would do different. If I could go back 26 years and start here again 26 years ago, oh, I would do things. I've said to Chuck, where were you 26 years ago? <laughs> I mean, listening to him preach these past four years, and when I'm, not, when I'm here, I'm like, I get mad at him sometimes. Because, <laughs> you know, Chuck was with me as a youth pastor and teaching pastor for 20 years before that. I'm like, why didn't, I, I even said that to him recently. I said, why didn't you tell me those things? I did. I said, why didn't you tell me those things? What was your answer? I was figuring it out. Yeah, I said, oh, I didn't know yet. And I said, well, you should have. Because I needed to know. But I want to tell you one thing I would have done differently. So since we've been here, we have helped seven churches. So, you know, uh, so uh, seven churches have planted from our church. Um, we have never rented our, our facilities out, our land, because what I've said is we can't rent what we don't own. We're just stewards. We own nothing. Do you understand that? You don't own anything. We're just stewards. We're just to say yes to Jesus. We're to, we're to live our lives with, with hands open. I don't own anything. This is when, you, when you live like this, you think it's yours. So these 10 acres and this building is not ours. It's God's. We're stewards. So we're just to hear what God is saying and come into agreement with what he is saying. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All we're to do is hear what heaven is declaring and say yes to it. So there's been seven churches that have been planted here that we've said yes to and have been sent out 
to be established as legacy churches, to go and buy land, to build buildings, to have paid pastoral staff, and to have programs that are going to draw people in. I would just completely change that. That's what I'm doing right now. I, I, I meet with a lot of church planners now, and what I'm saying to them is, listen, we need to redefine the win. The win isn't anymore buying land, building a building, get a, getting a staff, and having all these programs. First of all, it takes too long, and it's too expensive. If we're going to reach America now, we can't do it that way. Like, there are several church planters that they call me all the time. I, I don't have anywhere to meet. The, the land's too expensive. Well, the, the rent is too high. I have one church planter who's, who's, who's renting. He's, he's three months behind, and his landlord says, you're a terrible Christian because he can't pay the rent because it's so expensive. He's trying to work a full-time job, paying rent on a building. We need to change the win. We made the win a legacy church or, or a building with the staff, with programs. We need to change the win back to how Jesus said what the win was. Now, we need legacy churches. There's something like, for us to have this fine arts program, we need to have what we have here. So I'm not against legacy churches. We need them. But if we're going to reach the world, we got to do it like the early church did. They didn't have any buildings to invite people to. They didn't have paid professional staff. They didn't have programs to say, hey, come to our programs. Come and watch and see here. But instead, we need to empower just ordinary believers who are sold out for the kingdom of God. We need to help them to identify, are you an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher? If you're an apostle, go find a prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, and the five of you go build the kingdom of God. Don't worry about building buildings or building professional staff. Don't, you know, be tent maker like Paul. Don't worry about that. And then when you're too big for your home or whatever you're, wherever you're meeting, then find an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, send them out as a team of women and men, of teenagers, and go do it again, and then go do it again. See, that's what they're doing in the third world countries because they don't have the money to buy land and buildings and the staff. In America, we've been blessed because we're a very prosperous nation, but we have, we have a system, a paradigm that's just not reproducible. It's not reproducible in the world. Now it's no longer reproducible here. We've got to change it in America. So I said in that interview, there's something about missional communities. There's something about missional communities that God's hand is upon it. We're not there yet, but, but we're getting it. So I want you to stand with me. I want to end with this story. It's a quick story. <clears throat> I think it will give some light to what it is to keep the main thing the main thing. So on April 6th, this past April 6th, 2023, it was my oldest son's birthday, so we decided to go to the zoo and celebrate with my mom. And on the way home, I'm driving down Lumsden Road, and I see something in the road. And it is a family of ducks. So I call this story The Little Ducklings. And uh, I, so I stop to let them cross the road, but they're on the, the other side, and I see this car coming at a very fast pace, and it's going to hit the duck. So I'm out the window going fervently, stop, stop, and then the car goes shh and stops because he wasn't paying attention, much attention as I was. He was going to run over those ducks. 
He was close. So after the car stopped and I'm yelling out my window, right, something happened to that duck family. Go into the next picture. They got separated. See in the back, Mama Duck and Papa Duck were in the back. They're where? They're in the place of safety, aren't they? And they abandoned their little ducklings. Can we go back to the first picture? See, what you're seeing here is that who's leading here? The little ducklings. See, that's what we've done. We've allowed people to lead us as, as the fivefold leaders. We've allowed them to tell us what they want in church. We've allowed, we've allowed them to tell us what we should be doing, what we should be providing, because they're consumers. Therefore, we need to make sure we give them what they want to consume. That's what's happened here. This mama duck and, and papa duck should be in front of those baby ducks. And as soon as adversity came, go back to the last picture again, they abandoned their little ducklings. But the story doesn't end here. My son Luke, who's got a heart of gold, he's a true shepherd, he gets out of the car and he begins to, what is this called when you, whatever, the little ducklings back to the parents, got them across the road. And he said to those parents, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Lead your ducklings. And when life gets hard, don't abandon them. Stay with them. 1 Corinthians 4.15 Bible says you've had many teachers, many coaches, many counselors, many tutors, but you have not had many fathers. You have not had many mothers, many spiritual fathers, many spiritual mothers in the gospel. But I have become a father to you, Paul said to those Corinthians. Therefore imitate me. Pastor Chuck and the Overflow team, Aaron Aruda, Chris Thomas, they've been, a, they've been trying to appeal to you to say we need more spiritual mamas and spiritual papas because we have a lot of people who are brought into the kingdom of God, led in a prayer, a decision, but weren't discipled. We need missional community leaders to lead people, to lead the little ducklings truly make disciples. So there's going to be a QR code here. If you just fill that out, either to be a leader, say, it's time for me to step up. It's time for me to make disciples. It's time for me to be a leader. Or for some of you, you're like the way I began this ministry, that guy in that bull who's getting flopped up. You know, this is your life. You're, you have a life of drama all the time. And you need to be in a missional community so that you can be taught what it is to be a true follower of Jesus and to find your main thing. So I want to encourage you just to go, just put your name, and we'll help you. We'll help you to find a missional community. We'll help you to, to become a leader. You know, if you're not ready, that's okay. We'll, we'll teach you. We'll, we'll, we'll come alongside you, but it's time to get in the game. 
traditional churches, the legacy churches, aren't going aren't to do it in America anymore. We need what's the terminology that's being used out there is called micro churches. We're calling them missional communities. Some are called gospel communities. There are a lot of different names. But this is what Jesus is touching right now. This is what the Holy Spirit is touching right now. Micro churches. So Overflow Church, they're missional communities where, where your missional community is like a micro church within the apostolic church called Overflow. So we just close your eyes with me, please. Just let the Holy Spirit speak to you. That's how we begin. That's how I begin every morning saying, Good morning, Holy Spirit. I can't do this without you. I hope you begin every morning. right in this moment your eyes closed before the Lord would you just lay a hand on your heart you've heard a passionate and transformational message a call a charge and now we got to bring it home right here right to your heart right to my heart would you ask right now Lord where are you telling me to go where are you telling me to go where are you saying it's time to step out? No more excuses. No more fear. Who are the people and the faces you're calling me to go to? Lord, where are you calling me to make disciples? Not converts, but sons and daughters of every age and stage that would lay down their lives, take up their cross, make Jesus their treasure, and go and do it again. Would you ask, Lord, who are you calling me to baptize? That word baptize, it means to fully immerse. Where are you calling me to get outside of my comfort zone? For some of you, he's going to give you a picture. It's time to go meet your neighbors. He's going to show your family some place, some, some picture. I could think of six years ago when he spoke to my family and said, it's time to step out and become a foster family. It's time to be a part of redemption and reconciliation as a family. Where is he calling you to see people immersed in the love of the Father that look different than you? And where is he inviting you for a, for a multiplication of generations? Where are you seeing God calling you to teach those coming up under you? Because listen, this charge this morning wasn't just a charge for some churches or for some pastors. The Great Commission was given to sons and daughters. So hand on your heart, would you say the Great Commission was given to me? It was given to me. So I'm going to ask every person in the room just to repeat this. Say, Father. I want to go where you want me to go. Remove all fear. My ears are open. Father, I want to make disciples. I want it to be my main thing. Fill me with confidence. Let a passion stir in me that I can't shake. Father, I want to see people 
consumed by you, immersed in you. Give me boldness. I invite you to show me their faces, to call me out. Would you say, Father, I want a legacy. So I'm listening. Let me just pray with you. Father, in this moment, I'm asking that you give revelation. The word of God does not come for information. It comes for transformation. And Lord, what I know is this. There was a moment that some of the leaders that built our fine arts program that we're seeing and celebrating today, there was a moment where you spoke and you said, hey, this thing I'm inviting you into, would you just step out? And the truth is, when Pastor Ruth took that first step, it looked nothing like what we see right now. It was just a seed. But she had a moment where she said, Father, I want to go after you. And the main thing of how you've called me to be is a creative person. I want to pour out and fulfill the Great Commission. And she's answering that call. The team you saw this morning is answering that call. Where's God calling you to answer the call? In the unique way. I just pray right now. I'm going to ask if you would just extend your hands. I just want to pray an anointing over you. Oh, Father God. For each of these right now that have come and said, I will go where you want me to go. I'm asking right now, their ears be open boldly to hear everything you are saying and nothing else. I pray excuses would fall away now. I pray that strategies would be released now. And I pray that whatever it is that you've done in our lives to sustain us, to get us to take that first step, though it's scary, though it's out of the edge of yikes sometimes. Father, would you pour your spirit in now? Every son, every daughter, every age, and I want to let you know something. He's not going to do that because I said it. He's going to do it because that's who he is. So you need to know if you're saying to him, I'm ready to go and I want to hear you and I want boldness, it is done. Father, we await and we are ready and we will go with you. If you agree with that, say amen.